everyone, and welcome to MLS Assist, a podcast created to give insight into Major League Soccer's on-field action. I'm your host, Joe Lowry, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jordan Angeli. Jordan, did we get enough goals tonight? Yes! (laughs) (laughs) All the goals! It's kind of an impossible question to answer because we always want more, but that really did feel like enough. We had yeah. seven in San Jose's 5-2 win over Real Salt Lake and five more in the night nightcap LAFC's 4-1 win over the Seattle Sounders. Let's start at the beginning of the day. Let's get right okay. into this first game. Again, San Jose winning 5-2 versus RSL. I wanted to start out this first game analysis with an ode to the San Jose Earthquakes front four. I feel like some kind of music should play when you say that. Or I should just like, start talking dun, dun, in poetry. Dun, dun, dun. I didn't oh, write yeah, any I, I didn't write any poems or anything about the earthquakes, <laughs> but my ode to their front four is this. On the first goal in this game, it's Espinosa on the right wing who gets the ball. He's his positioning is so detailed. He's right outside the opposing left back for RSL. He gets the ball, dribbles in a little bit, and finishes to the far post. Then we get Erickson, the attacking midfielder in Mateus Amida's 4-2-3-1, playing a lovely slipped through ball into the box that leads to a penalty kick that he then converts from the spot. Vaco gets the third goal after some good pressure and some hard running into the box against no real pressure from RSL. Then it's Chris Wondolowski getting that Chris Wondolowski-esque goal after he comes on as a substitute. (laughs) Then again, it's Erickson converting another penalty for the fifth goal. All of these goals are scored by key members of the Earthquakes' attacking core. This is exactly what you want in a knockout round of a tournament. Your goal scorer is scoring goals. And I I think one of the things I want to mention there, because I know that you you did mention his name, but I think he was a big played a big role in the way that the earthquakes attack is Erickson. I think he just finds space so well, and it's not always running into space. It, I feel like San Jose in general do a really good job. And I spoke about them and how they attack and how I feel like it's different because in training every day, they are training against a man marking system, right? Because typically that's how the starters play against the non-starters, right? And so they're really good at dribbling out of situations. And I think today I also noticed that they're really good at reading defenses and not always running into space, but letting everybody else on the defense run and just staying in, in the space, watching the space being created because of the way others run. So it, I thought that was really smart. And Erickson does that really well. That's interesting. I've never specifically noticed that one thing from Erickson. He's always kind of confused me as a player. I can never tell if he should be out wide or if he should be in a central position. He never, to me, has seemed to have that killer through ball that we saw on the Earthquake's second goal. Seeing him evolve as a player, or maybe just my perception and understanding of him evolve over the course of this tournament, has been fun. Because not only does he do hard running defensively, but he contributes a lot in these attacking moments that make the Earthquake so dangerous. I've just been interested in him because there is so much talk about Jackson Ewell. So I'm like, okay, I, my eye, your eyes automatically go to the midfield of the earthquakes, but the midfield also includes Erickson, who I, I think <laughs> does interest and different, a different role, but it's really interesting to watch. If you'll permit me to go away from the center of the field and go out to the right wing, we mentioned his name, but Christian Espinosa warrants some discussion. Permission granted. Thank you so much, Jordan. That is very kind of you. (laughs) The way that Christian Espinosa can attract defenders, 
and draw guys in on the right side. That can be number one in buildup where the Earthquakes are playing out from the back. He can drop in and play with his back to goal and quickly lay the ball off in buildup, or it can be higher up the field in possession or in transition. Three different ways that Espinosa can draw defenders because he's so good with his right foot on the right side of the field. He'll draw the opposing left back. He'll draw the opposing left central defensive midfielder and the opposing left midfielder to him. When he draws all of those players to him, he can do the Carlos Vela draw and dish. This is the thing, Jordan, (laughs) that you can never remember the name of, and I don't blame you. And I'm still open to changing it, by the way. But for listeners who either weren't listening to when I coined that term or have forgotten, which is completely justified. When I when I say draw and dish, I think of Carlos Vela drawing defenders to him and then laying the ball off into open space that he's created from moving those defenders in towards the ball that he's on. Christian Espinosa does the same thing, and he's lethal. He puts defenders in impossible situations over and over and over again. Is it surprising to you that the two these two teams that won tonight, high scoring, both have uh, wingers and they're off the ball movement? It- you know, I'm not saying it's similar, right? But San Jose has good off the ball movement. The the way that they move and the fluidity at which they move when they attack is fun to watch. And LAFC is is the same way, I would say, probably on a different level. But um, it's not surprising to me that those two teams score the most goals. They did score a lot of goals. RSL also got themselves a couple of goals and proved throughout the course of this game that the margins yet again for man marking and for the San Jose Earthquakes man marking are so incredibly small. Ugh. They scored two goals. The first one is from Douglas Martinez, who takes advantage of a mistake and, and a misplay from Kashia in the back and just sort of runs right around him and chips Vega in the goal. Wait, wait, wait. That that goal, Joe, was so good because Baird gets the ball and the texture that he puts on the ball was absolutely perfect. He bends it with the inside of his foot. So it's bending into the middle of the field and then back into the run of Martinez, who does this little button hook to get himself away from uh, Kasia. Like, I I get that that was a 1v1 matchup that Martinez ends up winning, but... The movement off the ball by Martinez and the ball in by Baird, like, that was a beautiful combination. You're totally right, Jordan. That is very fair. The goal is nice, and the chipped finish from Martinez is beautiful in the box. It's a great attacking buildup from RSL. The other goal, though, that RSL scores in this game is much later. It's in the second half. It's the 75th minute, and it's Krylak who gets the goal. But we see the the first goal gave us a glimpse of what happens when you lose a 1v1 duel even when you lose it to a really nice piece of passing and a nice turn for Martinez. Mm-hmm. I don't want to overlook that, and so I, right. I thank you for adding that in. But in the second goal, we see a systemic breakdown of the Earthquake's man-marking system that happens because of how they structure their defense, right? You know what I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah, absolutely. So to set the scene here, as I often like to do, it's RSL in possession, and they have the ball at their left center back's foot. It's Silva who dribbles forward across the halfway line. He is completely unimpeded by any pressure. He's not being man-marked because the Earthquakes keep that free center back in the back to clean up things in and around the box and provide help 1v1, to turn 1v1s rather into 2v1s. So Silva is the open man. He is the unmarked guy, and he runs into the attacking half. He keeps going and keeps going and plays a great ball on the ground for Krylak to run onto and finish. It all happens because Silva is not being marked, and that allows him to stride into space and play that killer ball. Okay, that's what's happening for RSL, but I want to talk about what's happening for San Jose. Please. And this is this is why I wrote in all caps in my notes, this is why you don't man mark all over the field. <laughs> it's because when 
when Silva is dribbling in, if you're playing a zonal defense, what happens is you just shift and you block off passing lanes. Well, there was nobody to shift into that space to block off the passing lane into Krylak. The person that had to go and mark was Kasia, who is the open player, and he's sprinting or trying to sprint at the ball. It was, what, a 30-yard run towards the ball that he didn't even get anywhere close to Silva? And so in that time, Silva has the opportunity to notice that that space where Kasia leaves is now unoccupied and Krylek is making this little run along the edge of the back line into that space. And Jutsen is trying to chase him, but it's too late. And this is the thing. If Kasia stays there and Krylek makes that run, he's marked. He, he has someone to pick him up. If Jutsen is the one to go pressure the ball, well, there's still no opportunity to make that through pass because there's a player there. Like, it does not make sense to me that you wouldn't zonally mark there. It really, like, that goal irked me. In the moment, in that goal, and looking specifically at that buildup, I completely agree with you. It is a systemic breakdown of the Earthquakes man-marking scheme. But Mateus Almeida, I guarantee you, would take that 10 times out of 10. Oh, yeah. If it means getting the insane samurai soccer that the Earthquakes <laughs> play, where they're running around the field like insane people and playing crazy soccer games. Yeah, he would take a 5-2 to two game, right? No doubt about it. Every single time. And it's wild, and sometimes the defensive breakdowns are downright bad, and they irk Jordan Angeli. And they, they hurt me a little bit, too, but I was blinded by my love that Silva dribble the ball forward in the first place because I do genuinely think that that's a way that more teams need to take advantage of the earthquake system. Uh-huh. But setting all that aside, Mateus Almeida's opinion and, and style of play is what really matters here. And overall in this game, it did work. Yeah, yeah. All right, on to the second game of the night, Jordan. That is LAFC's 4-1 win over the Seattle Sounders. We saw for the first time in Orlando and in this MLS's back tournament, LAFC dominating the opposing team. I mean, what is their fitness plan? They are so fit. They never look like they get tired. I do not understand. Because it's not as if they don't, like, cover a lot of ground. They get forward, and with the same tenacity, they get back as well. And I think that there are times, and I, I saw it a few times here, too, where they get a lot of numbers back, and it's not like, everybody's really defending. They're just there to be there. And <laughs> and sometimes I, I don't feel like their defending is has quite enough um, grit to it or willingness to get in a tackle or really pressure the ball. But they have numbers back. And so when you're talking about the fitness aspect, like they are running so much. LAFC run their tails off, number one. And they also excel in three of the four main phases of play in a soccer game. They excel with high-pressing or counter-pressing defensively. They excel in possession, and they also excel in attacking transition moments. I'm beating a dead horse here. I've talked about it many times, so I'm not going to dwell on it too much. But Rossi gets the first goal off of a penalty kick because Tristan Blackman recovers the ball, plays it quickly forward to Rodriguez, who then you know gets it up to Rossi, and it's a little bit of dinking and dunking, but he gets the ball back and gets taken down and converts the penalty. Then for the second goal, it's Palacios who recovers the ball, almost like a mirror play on the other side of the field. He gets the ball, plays it up forward quickly. Seconds later, LAFC score with that Latif blessing shot that gets deflected off Shane O'Neill. LAFC, with the exception of just being just being there defensively when they're in a lower block and just standing around a little bit, and we saw some of that in this game, they are dominant in those other three phases of play. 
Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And when they're dominant, they suffocate the other team. Like, it didn't seem like Seattle could breathe. And they had the right ideas, in my opinion. So I, I think in the willingness to play out of the back, especially in the first half, you're trying to play out of the back to suck LAFC into your half because you know that they're going to high pressure. And then if you can beat that first line of pressure and have one connecting pass in the midfield, then the opposite side is open. And I think that Seattle did a good job of executing that a couple times. But the problem is, if you do not win first and second balls every single time in the midfield, when you play that long ball to beat the pressure, pressure, they're going to scoop up the ball and they're going to come right back at you, right? And so that's the difficulty that it is playing against this LAFC team. I thought the Sounders had really poor second ball structure in this game. And so to clarify and explain that a little bit, when you play the ball long, you you want to set up players to win the ball, right? Because there's not a guaranteed chance that you're going to win that first ball off of the long ball. So if Fry plays it forward, to Nico Ladero, let's say, as that a central attacking midfielder. Ladero might not win the ball. And if you're the Sounders, you need to make sure that you have guys ready to come in and help him win the ball or just win the ball for him after that initial collision. The Sounders too often were too far spread. They had too many guys in places where they couldn't come in and help win the ball. And that hurt them, especially on those first two goals. Jordan, in his water break interview, Brian Smetzer in the first half, John Strong asked him about his thoughts on the first 30 minutes. And I have this quote written down in my notes. Brian Smetzer said, well, not good. It wasn't good for the Sounders. <laughs> it really was very poor, and Brian Smetzer knew that. So I, I texted you during this game because I wanted to know, how do you beat this team? How do you beat this LAFC team when they're firing on all cylinders like this? Because the Sounders couldn't do it, and I'm guessing a lot of Major League Soccer can't or is unprepared to do so. I think, I think it all starts with, one, how you start the game. And you have to, like, I think that LAFC was on the front foot through the entirety of this game. And if you let them right away get control and get on top of you like they were, it's it's hard to come back from that. So I think if you're uh, another, if you're a team playing against them, you have to be willing to be brave in those first 10 minutes to try to set the tone and to try to say, okay, this is not how it's going to go. Because this is the first game that LAFC hasn't given up an early goal. Yeah. Finally, we see it. And that you're, you're so right. That's a great observation. That allowed them to get out from the start of this game and truly dominate those first 30 minutes where we haven't seen them quite do that in their first three group stage games. Right. And even, you know, I know that there was changes made in the second half. So the, the team was turned over. But because they put so much effort in, if they're going to play like that, they don't they don't all 11 players don't look like they're fit enough to play that way for 90 minutes, right? And so I think, especially in this tournament, if you play against them, you have to be willing to also maybe at times take some of their high pressure and be able to withstand that in the knowledge that, okay, we have to capitalize when those opportunities come because Seattle, they although they didn't come back in this game, they started to create some stuff towards the end of the game with that belief and with that. Honestly, it was just like they finally thought that they could play against them. I don't really think I, I answered your question, to be honest, because I think you have to be brave. You have to be brave in the first 10 minutes. You have to um, be willing to play through the pressure because 
a good spin turn and the way that LAFC pressures you can get that first defender past you. And then you might be able to have smaller um, 2v1 or smaller overloads on different parts of the field. Um, But then that big switch and really sucking LAFC into defending one side of the field and then trying to get out the other side, I think can really help, but you have to go help that person. And I feel like that's what Seattle did. They got the switch, but then there was no support to help that person on the far side. I hope Orlando city is taking notes because that is who LAFC will go on to play in the quarterfinals of this competition to add to our, how to beat LAFC one one college course that I assume we'll be teaching after this episode airs. I want to add one other thing. The Sounders looked tired in the second half. They looked exhausted. They had a hard time keeping up with LAFC, especially after they kept giving them the ball over and over and, and laying out the red carpet for them to transition into the attacking half. So if I'm Orlando City or whoever else plays LAFC in the future going forward from this tournament, I'm making active substitutions, especially in this MLS's back tournament when you've got five and we're likely to see that trend continue in the future. Get guys in early. Get guys in at halftime. Don't wait. Refresh the midfield. Refresh the forward line to get higher pressure if that's if that is your approach to try to fluster LAFC and not let them get the ball down the field and counterpress you to death. Get those legs on the field sooner rather than later, because if you don't, you're really going to suffer when the ball does turn over because you won't have the legs to keep up and you won't have the legs to get back and defend. I think with playing against LAFC too, you have to anticipate. Like they are so good at just anticipating what's coming next. Like I can't remember. It was in the second half and I don't think it amounted to anything, but there was a uh, kind of a scramble in the midfield and the ball ended up getting played long to Diego Rossi. And he, w- he had just been running like he just, the, there was a scramble and you knew that it was going to be a tackle, but it didn't matter who won the ball. He was just stretching the back line. And that's what I mean. They just anticipate that like the things are going to go their way. And you, if you're defending against them, you have to think quicker than that, right? You have to think, okay, if he, if, if things go right for LAFC in this 50 50 ball in the midfield and Diego Rossi's trying to break the back line, okay, we have to step. We can't let that ball go long to him. And then if there's no pressure or if, if that they don't play that ball, then we have to re, set our back line and make sure we know where he is. You just have to think quicker than they do, which is um, difficult. I can't imagine an easy, an easy <laughs> task. <laughs> I was going to say so fluid. It is beautiful. It really is beautiful. I was going to say that we made a really easy, quick guide to beating LAFC, but then I realized how many different things we pointed out. No, and, there's and too many. Made, and I don't even think, think we got everything. <laughs> <laughs> that made me think just how hard it is to play against this team. Yeah, they're good. It's, it's very difficult, even in the earlier games of this tournament, where teams have jumped on them early and have scored more goals than the Sounders did. It's still so hard. One of the things, too, that um, they switch lines on the field like it's no big deal. Their outside back will come centrally. Their winger will be wide and then almost look like a center midfielder and then be up top next to their their front runner. Like they're switching horizontal and vertical lines on the field when they're attacking. And that fluidity in the way that they attack makes it so hard to track as a defender. It is it's it's so intricate. Bob Bradley is a good soccer coach. Would you believe it? Bob Bradley is a good soccer coach. We could keep Jordan. We could keep talking about LAFC and what they do well for probably 
hours. So we're not going to do that. We're going to end the episode here because we have more soccer. Every episode I end with, we have more soccer coming. We do. Two more round of 16 games tomorrow that we will be back in your ears covering and giving you the nitty gritty details. Uh, One last thing. Thank you guys so much for listening. I can't believe you've listened to us for all of these days. <laughs> we appreciate it so much. So um, if you would be so kind, a uh, rate and a review of the show and share it with your, your people, either on Twitter or just, you know, word of mouth. Let them know what's up. I love it. Jordan, thank you for thanking our listeners. Thank you for chatting with me. And we'll be back again tomorrow. All right. See you, Joe.